This is the Macworld Podcast, episode 518 for July 27, 2016. Folks, welcome back to the Macworld Podcast. Uh, it's the middle of summer. You know, we're getting kind of in the halfway point. One of my kids mentioned to me that, uh, you know, half the summer was over and I started crying. But besides that, uh, you know, we're having a good time. Uh, If you don't know who this is, I'm Glenn Fleisch, one of the senior contributor at Macworld. And joining me is Susie Oaks, the executive editor of Macworld. Hi, Glenn. Hello there. Good. How how do you like the news that the summer is almost half over? Um, (laughs) Yeah, that's cool. I don't know. Oh, I guess it's true. I got to see a lot more baseball. I know that for sure. I'm like, I got five weeks to go. Yeah, got to get some more baseball. It's been it's been nice up in Seattle, but uh, I don't know. There's something about that. It's like when you reach, you know, I'm I'm technically I'm coming up that way. I'm middle age, and it's like for a long time I denied that, and like I'm almost fifty. I'm middle age, more than middle age, probably. I don't know. Let's hope. Let's hope I'm middle age. I'm I'm looking forward to another forty eight years. But it's like you get that and you're like, oh, halfway. But what does that mean really? Because none of us knows what the future will bring. It might bring an apple car. It might bring, I don't know, flying sharks with lasers. I don't know what the future's gonna bring, Susie, but I'm excited to see it. So I don't care it's if it's the halfway point or not in summer or my life. I'm looking forward to the future. Every day's a gift. That's what I like to say. Uh, so uh, Apple Cars back in the news. We got we got a lot of news this week. It's a bunch of little stuff um, here and there, and uh, some uh, a bunch of security things going on. We're going to talk about just to keep people up to date on uh, on things that they may have heard that have been freaking them out, or perhaps not freaking them out. And we'll explain why you should or should not be. Is it time to panic, Susie? Uh, nah. What about now? Mm, no. All right. All right. This is your very even. Even headed, I like that. Um, it's so, too early to panic, and it's like summer, so you know, no right. one wants to panic during the summer. Wait till Labor Day, then panic. So, um, uh, our friend Big Bob Mansfield is back and large and in charge. Um, this is awesome news. It's good. Bob Mansfield, who's uh, one of the longest running engineering folks at Apple, he's been there since uh, I think '99 in a senior position. And uh, Bob was going to leave, if I remember. He was kind of moving out, and then he moved back in. Which was cool. He looked like he was kind of a few years ago. They were kind of, you know, looked like he was ready to kind of. Did they like, bring oh. him back in after they got rid of Scott Forstall? Or? I don't know what it was. He was look, but it looked like he was graduating out and then graduated back in. So the news is so, just now, when I, I thought I was out. I gotta say the reason John Moltz and I, who you may recognize from his uh, appearances on this and other podcasts and his writing in uh, MacWorld, uh, John Moltz, uh, he used to run Crazy Apple Rumor Site. People remember cars, speaking of cars. Uh, and um, he and I have a running joke. He, I think he coined this, Big Bob Mansfield. Except no substitutes. Big Bob Mansfield. Ask for him by name. <laughs> and it's because it's not a joke about I, – I don't do – weight shaming or whatever. He's just a big guy. He's like tall and big. He's massive. He's like a football player. He's giant hands. He could crush Johnny Ive with one fist. He's, you know, so it's not a joke about, you know, him being overweight because I don't, he looks incredibly fit. It's just, he's a big guy. And usually in Silicon Valley, I'll just say this. Most people in Silicon Valley are sort of um, like, there's a little bit of a, of a trimness. Like it favors a certain kind of style. And people are more like the Steve Jobs physique, yeah. Uh, rather than you're so Tim so, Cooks, your Steve yeah. Jobs, your Scott Forstalls, and yes, he did come back in the same in the same management shakeup that Scott Forstall. Oh, had. I'm sorry. So that yeah, which was great. So Bob Mansfield st- he stands out a little because you're like, oh my god, this guy's working with tiny circuitry. Look at the size of his hands. <laughs> um, so I'm sort of kidding, but he's an incredibly competent engineer. Uh, you know, he's ta- for, for years they brought him out in videos to talk in detail about some of the uh, uh, interesting low level engineering stuff that's going on there. And so the news that this is a rumor, but of course, it's probably true because of how it got leaked. Um, 
Apple's got this long-term project. I think it was uh, Caitlin who wrote up this story. One of our uh, writers uh, noted um, that I think the Apple car isn't you know, expected to appear until 2021, I think. So it's a long-term project. And, yeah, first um, the rumor was 2020. Now it's 2021. But I mean, like, you know, that's one of those things where, like, we could start a rumor tomorrow that it was going to be February 2nd, 2022, because they love exactly. the number two. But, like, you know, it's just that it's so far out to do ship date rumors. So, yeah. It takes, it takes a long time to make a car. We know they have some space. They're doing testing. Uh, my friend Mark Harris uncovered that for uh, – some other publication, IEEE Spectrum, maybe. Um, mm-hmm. So we know, you know, Apple's working on it, and um, it takes a long time to make a car. May never happen. That's the other thing. We know Apple tests stuff. They've got the money to burn to test on something that might not turn out. But my always thing about the car is not that I, I don't know if Apple wants to get into that business. I still don't understand. Well, it it's still so could fussy. be they could be making some kind of like system to put in a car, but and it's just for, easier to like test it themselves. But not for five. That wouldn't be five years away though. Then it's like two years away or three years away. I think I think they're if it's five years away, I think it is a car. But it may have some, as you say, it may have some thing like they may be designing a car that they license the entire designer working with a partner and they don't do any of the um, manufacturing or service. They sell it like a phone. So it's made by Toyota or whoever. I mean, it's made by some third party and it's Apple is involved in every stage of manufacture as as they are with like a contractor like Foxconn or something. It could be like so, Car OS and they exactly, could like license well, it. It's not that weird. So, well, or if it, but it could be, I mean, you know, I think it might be. for cars is terrible. And then they've talked about it being the ultimate mobile device. So, you know, they want it to like sync yeah. to all your things and just have your like cloud person, like also live in your, in your car. Wi-Fi and cell built in like a lot yeah. of cars these days. Well, we'll see. But I think it's, I, um, I do think that uh, this fits the Apple narrative in that Apple likes to come into Markets that have not been entirely proven and fix them, right? So people like, oh, smartwatches were coming out as a category, but they're sort of crappy because they're early. When you're early, it's hard to put features in. You're building everything from scratch. You don't know what people want. Battery life is poor. There's no manufacturing line set up. Like this endless list, right? And those are all so things Apple's good at. You know, they're they're good at yeah. figuring out what people want or like telling us what we want before we know. And they're good at batteries. They're good at manufacturing Yep. And they like pulling the carpet out of your competitors who have put a lot of years into making something right. They put all the pain into the early cycles. Then Apple's like, okay, that was great. <clears throat> now here's the iPhone. They're like, wait, no, no. But we put all this, you know, Blackberry, we put all these years in. Now you're just collapsed. You know, it was like a Johnny Ive interview too, like a while back where he was talking about, you know, they did the watch because like they're, you know, consumers of high end watches and they thought that they could, you know, do better in a smartwatch that they could, you know, chase that high end kind of uh, quality. And it's the same thing. These guys drive really nice cars. So I'm sure there's a list of things that bug them about their cars and how their cars interface with the rest of, you know, their technology driven lives. And oh, yeah. they're they're just gonna keep fixing these things like one oh. by one. Oh, What's the, the next like super high end like rich guy thing they can start? Here's the motto is technology driven. Yeah. Ooh, there you go. Cars. Yeah. Uh and hey, Pixar connection, they can license cars for you know, for Apple car, cars, movie cars, cars, cars. I don't know. Uh, next big thing, houses, <laughs> high-end houses. 
Or RVs. Maybe it'll be RVs. No, I'm sorry. I don't know. What do rich people do? Maybe it'll be Apple golf courses. <laughs> yeah, self-driving <laughs> golf carts. Self-driving golf carts. Uh, oh, man. So... My son asked me about the robot cars like all the time. Like That's what he calls self-driving cars. And oh, I keep yeah, stressing yeah. to him. I'm like, just so you know, these are not transformers. They're not you know, rescue bots. They're not going to become robots and be your friend. And he's like, no, 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 no. But now he's so obsessed with having a self-driving car that can take him because he just figured out it like clicked that he if he had a self-driving car he could go places without me <laughs> so we're walking home yesterday and he's like what if i'm in my robot car and you're in your car at a stoplight and then i can roll down my window and say hi mommy and i was like yeah that'd be great i never so, thought about people yeah he can't wait to like get have a robot car and go places without me I never thought about kids running away in robot cars because they can't drive, right? <laughs> no. They don't have to go by foot. But like, <laughs> hey, you know, 11-year-old is like, I'm out of here. And they steal the robot car code and they, they go a thousand miles away. You find them in Mexico. Could be bad. Yeah. This is why we shouldn't have robot cars, clearly, we don't, because it's uh, bad for society. It'll disrupt our already fragile family ecosystem. Uh, so uh, I'll just not. fire up, find my robot car, fire. and see where it is. Return to home. You tap, and they're like, "No, the car, all the doors locked." Yeah, turns around to the high risk screen. Seatbelt like thing, like there's like yeah restraints <laughs> like come around you, and it's just like the radio turns to something you hate. <laughs> this is turning into a horror movie, Susie. <laughs> the air conditioner dies. It's just oh my like, God. you're going home now. Well, you've just written the script. Of, you have just written the script of a future I horror have. movie, this like next year. Taking Robot notes. car. Carrie, it's back and it's automated. Not Carrie, I'm sorry. Christine, it's Christine too. Yeah. She's back and she's even angrier. Um, Yahoo. Yahoo. You are Yahoo. Yo, oh, ha, yo. Yahoo, um, serious. Yeah, it's gone. It's a uh, fascinating company in that uh, the assets are being sold for about $4.5 billion to Verizon. And it's still the remaining part of the company is worth like $40 billion because uh, Yahoo managed to do a couple smart um, investments. And that's what's redeemed the entire company, sadly. Um, should point out, under Marisa Meyer, the company is worth 150% of what it was when she joined. So in terms of, uh, I think all of that is outside of her control because a lot of it relates to these uh, valuations that have nothing to do with the core company products. But um, I was digging through my uh, old email. I used to exchange some mail with uh, with uh, David Yang back in the day, or Jerry Yang rather. It was David, uh, David Philo and Jerry Yang. Jerry yes. Yang back in the day because I had problems getting in the Yahoo directory, the issues. They'd started the submission process. And I went, hey, Jerry, you can remember me? And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'll make sure that gets in there. Back in the 90s, those classic days. Well, um, websites never... had customer service. You could say, weird. hey, man. <laughs> it was weird. Uh, but yeah, Yahoo never made the transition really from, you know, it was a directory, then it was a portal, then it was, I don't know what it was. <laughs> I don't think they do. It's 15 years not knowing what it was. Marisa Meyer tried to turn it into an it's entertainment my first company. Webmail. Is that right? Yeah, I loved it. Their email has always uh, been like the most hacked thing. Like they have the worst spam. And Susie Oaks at Yahoo, email me. I will not read it. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I have emailed there because uh, of Flickr. Flickr is my favorite photo service. A lot of people, a lot of people don't like it. It, you know, birthed uh, it's a a Katarina Fake uh, and uh, Stuart Butterfield who married at the time. They were the founders. Flickr's iHards are still mad that Yahoo bought Flickr. They thought it was better before. I wish Yahoo should have spun it off many times into its own company or as a partially owned venture with somebody else who had operating control. So now does because, Verizon own it? Or? Yeah, 
Yes. Mm. And they'll probably shut it down. I mean, my guess is they will probably actually, they will probably sell it off, but I don't know who wants it because all the major players would a Facebook buy it. Kodak is not in the business of doing this anymore. Um, you know, Apple and Google have their own things. Amazon has its own thing. Apple doesn't really have a good like online solution. Yeah. They don't care though. They're not going to buy a third party company. Yeah, but they could it. afford it. Yeah, I just, I, what I'm hoping is somebody buys Flickr because they feel it hasn't been well monetized. They get it for a song um, and they restructure it. So it's slightly more professional and they start adding features because uh, uh, my main objection, I, I love Flickr. My wife hates it because I use it to organize my stuff. When I share albums with her, she hates the way you have to navigate Flickr as a user of other people's stuff. But she uh, and I love it for organizing my stuff and finding things and sorting. And I've switched mostly to Google Photos, but um, I still like a lot of features in Flickr. So I'm hoping it doesn't it doesn't die. But is there anything at Yahoo besides the email account you don't use that you think that you've used regularly, like in the last year? Is there any service besides Flickr that you can yeah, think of? Yeah, um, fantasy sports. Oh, I don't know about that at all. Yeah, Yahoo does pretty good fantasy sports. It's not great. Um, the mobile apps for it were kind of bad, which is weird because they've been doing better mobile apps lately. Like the Yahoo weather app for iOS is really good. Oh, okay. Um, oh, I, you know, I forgot I love that. I actually, I use the Yahoo weather app and I didn't even think about it until yeah. you told me that. Yeah, they have a couple kind of surprising things where you're just like, what? Okay, that's random. <laughs> they have a really that's good surprised. weather app. Okay. It is surprising. Well, yeah. they have all these divisions. It's kind of a divided up company. And it's like, uh, you know, I I had incredibly high hopes when Meyer took charge. I thought, here's somebody who was held back. I mean, I really thought held back at Google, maybe because of gender, maybe not. Um, maybe the wrong job for her. She kind of got overlooked and somebody else was promoted at one point. And I thought, all right, here's somebody who's got a lot of drive. Help make Google what it is. Yes, she has a reputation for micromanagement. Yes, she has a reputation for wanting to test 45 colors of blue or whatever it was for something. But I'm like, that's okay. Measurable results are good. She has a process. Look what's happened at Google. And I feel like she came in and what she did was the public side was a lot of micromanagement and money spent on things that wasn't spent well, as opposed to focus directed change to pivot into new businesses or leverage what they had. So some of the changes I think were quite good, like the changes to Flickr, were actually modest but good. You know, they expanded storage to a terabyte. But then they, they invested in entertainment and news, and they didn't really understand how to get people to watch or read is what it felt like. Yeah. It felt like they were pouring money into it, and it was going down a pit. So, I, But I was, I was really hoping. Really hoping. I wrote one of the most read things I've ever posted on my blog is a dissection of the Yahoo logo redesign because it represented <laughs> everything, I think, awful about uh, – when you disregard expertise in favor of learning something from scratch, right? And so I'm a graphic designer. I have a lot of feelings about logo design. And Bruce Meyer is a classical engineer and, you know, software engineer, um, very smart, is surrounded by t uh, people who are also very, very smart. And uh, engineering mindset, I have this issue about it. And it's without, there's like, I can generalize and say, people who identify as engineers often want to dissect a problem by starting from scratch, even though they have a lot of knowledge, they've had to learn a lot of things about what they do. They often want to go back to first principles. They want to disregard. And I don't think this is a function of being taught as an engineer. I think it's a function of how you identify yourself in the world. Not all engineers do this, um, but I have seen definitely, especially in email and comments I got in articles, people who want to say, okay, yeah, there's all this history and knowledge and empirical information and studies and research. But let's put that aside and just start from <laughs> scratch. Like, no, you, should need you have to figure out a way to integrate. So it's not that it's 
I don't, they don't teach this in engineering school. They teach, you know, incredibly integrated problem solving, but I call it the engineering mindset because it often comes from people who identify. So the logo process, they didn't look at, you know, thousands of years of understanding of legibility, including a lot of work in the last century. That's, you know, very empirically based lab based about how people look at things. They didn't look at, they didn't, look at anything visual. They did it all on a mathematical side. This, this logo is great because it's mathematically perfect. And it's like, yes. Yeah, and then they tried to show their work too, right? They oh, were like, God. and then we tilted the thing like a perfect 22 degrees or whatever. Anything. We we don't, our eyes don't see mathematic perfection. Our eyes interpret things in different ways. You have to correct for what our eyes do. And so a thick stroke may seem thin and we've all seen optical illusions. So yeah, I don't think people like to your point, I don't think people get how like sciencey like design really is like they think as, you know, as long as it looks good, but like there's a <laughs> lot of like, yeah, there's a lot of research and stuff gone into how people read things, like how the eye moves, what draws you in and yeah, different things and typography and fonts and design and it's it, it, they know what they're doing. <laughs> right, and it's I you know when I was trained as a designer thirty years ago, because mm-hmm. as I say, I'm middle aged now. So thirty years ago, um, you know, there, we read a lot about legibility. We, we didn't we didn't sit there and do you know clinical studies, but we were we read about legibility, read about things, and there's a lot more known now. And a design education teaches you that. And it's not that designers aren't. Uh, are perfect or that um, aesthetics don't play anything into it. But it's that idea that if you just, that reading about the process they went through, Meyer disregarded every kind of expertise that designers had in favor of a different way of thinking that didn't translate visually. And I thought it was, I thought it actually, to me, uh, pretended that she might not listen in the right way. She wanted to impose a vision of a kind of imperfect perfection on the logo. And, and also that, I mean, look, whenever, every time anyone designs a logo these days, they have to have a story and there's like a movie and a website. And you're like, oh, don't yeah. just, oh, for crying out loud, it's your logo. Like we Airbnb don't care. The one and the stupid Uber one that I still hate. Yeah, we don't care. Yeah. We don't care. Go do a presentation, a design workshop someplace. Or there they care, but we don't care. And that's also, it's like, don't pat yourself on the back because you took five letters and you made them in different format. <laughs> yeah. No, Breaks I'm totally with you. Um, all right, we've beaten Yahoo into the ground. But, you know, Sorry, I don't think Yahoo. we're not going to, I mean, the thing is, we're not going to miss for it. All the email. What do you think about this new thing that's been happening slowly? In the uh, digital content, uh, you know, like content side of things, we've had cable networks. Obviously, Comcast has bought up, and you know, other networks have owned um, resources like uh, uh, you know TV stations and production companies. But now you have Comcast's Ventures. It's uh, deeply invested in um, you know Vox uh, Media and uh, Recode. You've got um, Verizon buying Yahoo. It bought AOL. How does this make you feel as a editor as someone working in this space for many years about these companies that are also controlling pipes um getting into this business does it worry you do you are you thinking yay new money coming into a field that's bereft of cash now um a little bit um yeah not gonna lie a little bit like yay at least someone's you know gonna be paying people to make contents um it is disturbing that they're also controlling the pipes um you know so far net neutrality has managed to rule the day but um you know that could change i guess at any time um but i'm less concerned about that because i i just think that you know people really did wake up the last time and and they're going to be more vigilant about that going forward 
But um, yeah, it's it's interesting because so these these big media companies used to be just so entrenched in you know broadcast and that that was the only thing and now they know that you know as as we're moving more into digital people are watching stuff with apps and everything's more on demand um, like streaming and set top boxes they know that they're still bad at that stuff so they're 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 trying to get better at it and it's sort of like the great reset button where you know who knows where these big stars are going to come from like uh, you know the you're not going to be watching uh, Brian Williams on NBC. You might be watching, you know, the uh, the guy who makes the the awesome YouTube videos about the gadgets, whose name yeah. is totally uh, escaping oh. me. Oh. So <laughs> you know that much. guy. <laughs> I know exactly. You're Younger about. people would know who I'm talking about because uh, Mar- Marquise is his name, um, because he is, uh, you know. That's that's the future. So at least they're like paying attention, and, and and they're they're making some missteps. I mean, you know, trying to bring some some people from the old world into the new world, and 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 figuring it all out, and it's going to be messy for a while. But but yeah, I think that's why these these big companies are buying up what used to be. So they're they've got the software edge where you know they can help them make better software and better apps for all these different platforms because that's you know where you find people now. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so so they got the software edge and the content edge, and I think that's why Verizon is interested in companies like AOL and Yahoo. It's yeah, I I think I share a lot of the similar feelings you do too. I'm like I'm like, yay, more money coming to the system. Oh no, it's people who may want to control the outcome of the system. I mean, there was an issue about uh was it news.com had uh, a situation where I'm trying to remember the exact detail. They are owned by CBS and uh they had a story, um was it conflict of interest that came up and I think they pulled a story. I'm trying to remember the detail. Ooh. Um I think it was news.com. It was, uh, gosh, I can't remember the, it was a few years ago. Um, but there's some, there's some concern when you have, uh, especially in the technology world, because technology is such a big business. I mean, it's not like cars aren't or other industries, but technology is very much in everyone's hands and pockets and it's political discourse. So there's some issues like, you know, if you've got companies that, uh, Verizon and Comcast are constantly in front of regulators, constantly trying to get the rules changed, constantly trying to roll back, how does this affect their ownership of properties that uh, that write about it? But you know, uh, Yahoo is a very different thing. They kind of they didn't close the news division, but they curtailed it quite a bit uh, months ago. Some of my colleagues I know from, including uh, one of our old back world colleagues, was uh, laid off um, uh, for, during that phase. But uh, Yahoo isn't so much a news generator as like a place that you know people go. Millions of people still go. It's funny. It's seen as Yahoo. Is my recollection is it's been profitable. Um, and it still has a huge visitor base. It's just so small compared to a Facebook or a Google that it just seems like a rounding error. I guess that's the big issue. Yeah. Yep. Well, we'll see. We'll see. It's not like any company that we know of that's a media company might be up for, for sale soon and have this issue come up. <laughs> no, don't know anything no. about that. Moving on. Um, <laughs> never mind. I wasn't even here. So uh, you guys ran a story. Macworld ran a story. I should say uh, Apple Watch saved Chuck Letourneau's life it's by Chuck. Uh, he wrote this story. I was really moved by that story. I thought it was amazing. I was so glad. It was really uh, good. Yeah. It was a really good story. We're super glad that uh, Chuck is okay. He's doing much better. Yeah. I should read this uh, piece because um, Chuck uh, had no history of heart disease. Um, healthy guy. He's talking about his own health history. Heart disease Not- sneaks up on people. It's the yeah. silent killer. 
Yep. And he just started to feel a little weird. Had been, you know, it's, he had his Apple watch. So he, he wanted he, so badly to shake it off. Like they were going to take a road trip later that day. And he was he like, like an 800 no, mile fine. drive. I'll He's be like, fine. No. Oh my God. Um, now I've had a heart attack and I have a, sh- a stent in my heart. And so I know this sensation. I had a very, very, very tiny heart attack. And I was like, no, nah, I was dehydrated. No, nah, it's cool. Oh, I feel okay now. <clears throat> and I should have. Oh, I had no idea. It's a man thing. Every man I know is like this. Well, but you don't, you don't know what it feels like. It makes me want to like. buy an Apple Watch for my dad, like straight up, because <laughs> I mean, he would well, need a new iPhone as well. So that would oh, be no, expensive. But but yeah, like it's 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 that typical thing where you just, you don't want to slow down. It's going to right. the doctor or going to urgent care or whatever. It's inconvenient. It can be expensive. You can waste like three hours sitting in a cold room with your shirt off to be told everything's fine and just go home. So I get it. But yeah, he saw that his heart rate was elevated and it was not going back down and he looked in to it and it turned out yeah but if you hadn't seen the heart rate is is i think he's telling us like if i hadn't been able to see in you know <laughs> and he knew what his regular heart white. rate was because right. he wore an apple watch like you know right. if, if you told if you went up to someone like if you went up to my husband and was like oh your heart rate's like 108 right now he would be like okay is that good like i don't know um but if he knows that his heart rate is usually 60 and he hasn't been you know exerting himself at all and it's like at an elevated you know 110 and it won't go back down which was kind of like the numbers chuck was seeing he was like okay yeah this is outside the, the normal so it's not even just that he knew something was wrong like he knew at least a little bit. He had a good yeah. idea of the delta between like what normal should be and where he was. And that was what concerned him enough to like get, you know, get help. So I just got this. This is going to sound like a tangent. I swear it's not. I just got this. Uh, I want to get a new outdoor indoor thermometer for our house because uh, our old one broke. And I kind of like having our own gauge of like what temperature, you know, it can be. Oh, yeah. They'll say 80. like this in Seattle. You're like, where? Yeah, because our house, we have a southern exposure and one side of our house gets blasted by the sun all day. So I know like it's going to be 90 out there and the ostensible. And it can actually be a cool breeze going, but it's literally 90 on our one side of our porch. So, um, But I got this thing and it's like, oh, it has said, you know, it takes two weeks for the weather prediction part to kick in. And I'm like, well, that's wild. This is really inexpensive piece of technology. And it actually does some kind of monitoring and learning and adjusts internal algorithms after two weeks. And it's actually pretty accurate about the day's forecast. It's not pulling in information. I I think it's kind of clever, whatever they've done. I thought, you know, something that simple and cheap is learning um, what is going on around it. And this is what the future of the Apple Watch is. Like this is part of – and Apple's been, I think, hinted at it a lot more in the last time they talked about it at WWDC. I know you feel me here. It's like this is – it becomes not just – it becomes a – the most personal device ever because it knows about your health and because you control your health information because Apple gives that to you, you're going to be more willing to let it monitor you for things. And so the idea is like, it would be great if the- it could make connections. Like it would be great yes. if it was like, Hey Chuck, like I think, you know, your heart rate's been sort of elevated. Are you exercising right now? And he could tap no. And it could say like, exactly. okay, like let's watch this. Would you like me to call your doctor? Like, I don't know. Like it's so, I mean, but Apple has these privacy concerns and, you know, not everybody wants the same level of, you know, nagging and care. And so it's close. It's, well, it's, you can enable it as a thing. And, yeah. the, and it's also, if people opt into these large scale studies that Apple's doing and people are, uh, the things it's facilitating to let researchers gather information directly. One, with HealthKit, uh, one of the things that'll be uh, amazing is the machine learning thing. Like, if you can take, a hundred thousand or a million people and say like, here is their heart information, heart rate information for uh, two months. And these people are telling us if they have any incidents, like they have heart disease, they had a heart attack, they, whatever, like if that's part of the survey, 
So we know, like, okay, this person had this pattern for two months, and then they had a heart attack. The researchers don't go in and do that manually. What they do is they take all that, they run it through these machine learning um, algorithms that you, you give it data and you train it. It looks at, the machine looks at it, at this massive amount of patterns, and you say, this is a heart attack. And then you give it something fresh after you've fed in 100,000 patterns of heart attacks, non-heart attacks that have been labeled. You give it something fresh, and the machine can say, there's a... 90% probability this person is about to have a heart attack, yeah. you know, and it gets better over time because there's things that are difficult to determine, but the, you know, a few measures, especially like, um, rest, you know, heart rate is a great one, especially if you know the pattern someone's going through. So Chuck identified it himself, but imagine exactly what you say. If it had said, Hey Chuck, um, we are concerned. You'd asked us to monitor your health and we are concerned about your heart rate. It's would be advisable for you to call a doctor, or we believe you're about to go into imminent distress. You should get to an emergency room as rapidly as possible, or call your, you know, call nine one immediately. Yeah. Like I know that's over the top, but there's going to be times with enough data, you could have a ninety nine point nine percent confidence interval that someone should go to the ER. And and especially if people enable this, they know they're already in ill health, or they know they have concerns, then they'll turn on these extra things like warn me as opposed to, you know, otherwise healthy person. I had um, uh, radiation therapy 20 years ago for uh, cancer and chemo and radiation. And so my heart was damaged slightly in that. And I'm actually in really good shape, but like, so I had no indication. I'm, I'm totally asymptomatic and I'm not, have no heart disease present except where I had the radiation. So I, you know, with, until if I'd had something like the Apple watch, I probably would have freaked out also after I'd had that tiny heart attack that I didn't know was a tiny heart attack and, uh, would have gone in and gotten it caught. It took me a few weeks before I realized something else was going on. Um, it's true. So and with like frameworks like CareKit, I mean, Apple wouldn't have to build all of this into the OS, like, you know, necessarily, um, you know, if you needed, exactly. CareKit, if, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. if you had heart issues, you could download apps that would um, monitor you more remotely than the, than the watch would have to. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, like the watch stuff, it's, it's, it's getting better, but it's, it's just, it, there's, it needs to go a lot further um, in making these connections. I agree. So even, I mean, this isn't like a health-related example per se, but so I'm running watchOS 3 and I'm running the beta and there's that new app Breathe and it um, reminds you to take deep breaths to lower your stress. Uh, actually takes your heart rate while you're doing it and says, okay, you know, you, you, you did a minute of deep breathing, you get down to like this rate, good job. And so it pings you during the day every so often to take these one minute deep breathing breaks. And so the other day I'm driving in my car, I'm using my Apple Watch to navigate and it's like, ping, do you want to take a deep breathing break? And I'm like, no, I'm on the freeway. I'm going 80. <laughs> like, I'm not going to stop. <laughs> and like, so that was annoying. And it should check my calendar maybe. Don't ping me during meetings. Um, and I'm just, going 80. Down, I'm sorry, I just hit me again. I'm going 80 down the highway. It's like, yeah. you should really. No, yeah, I, had like, I had like a merge oh coming God. up in a, in a mile. And it was like, do you want to like stop and, and breathe? And just You're like, stressing me out. Yeah, do I that. actually felt my heart rate kind of rise when it did that. Oh I was God. like, okay, I'm annoyed now. I was fine and now I'm ticked. So yeah, I don't know. I'm I have anger issues clearly, but but yeah, it's like it's just just do those kinds of connections. I want it looking at calendars because I mean these machines know what like the devices kind of know what where they are and how they're moving. And Apple's already using that. You know, you can unlock your Mac with your watch. You can use your phone to to authenticate a payment on the Mac. So, but it just needs to go a little bit further. Like the, like the, like the stuff Google's doing, but Google's doing it, you know, all the machine learning in the cloud and that's, that's their thing. So maybe Google pushes it a lot further because they want the data and Apple 
doesn't want the data, so yeah. they're kind of like taking more cautious uh, baby steps into this. But there, there's world. so many ways to do it. I think. I mean, we talked about differential privacy that Apple's pursuing as a way yeah. to sort of do random sampling in a way that's uh, you know undeniable. But the thing is, Apple doesn't want to collect massive data without people's permission, and this mm-hmm. is a different category. So. If they, you know, like the study thing, Caricate is great. Like if, if I'm enrolled in a study or if Apple, let's say um, Mayo Clinic or and they're not a great heart place, but whoever is a big heart specialist in America, like they roll out an app that said, look, we have done now, um, we've had millions of people enrolled in this. We have really good data. If you're concerned about the state of your heart, if you're seeing a cardiologist, talk to them about this first. But this app can help you with various things. It'll help you, uh, you know, with an exercise regime. It'll make sure you get enough steps. It'll monitor your heart rate. It'll do all these things. And it can give you alerts if there's something that's negative going on based on all this analysis we've done. But you have to opt in. You're going to give us some data, um, not a lot, but a lot of it will happen on the app side. But we have to know a little bit because we have to check it. And people can make that choice. And for most people, I think when you give them something like, you know, this is a research project, you know, even like this wouldn't be a fee service ostensibly. This would be something they're using to improve care that's being funded through government sources or is part of their outreach as a foundation or foundations funding it. Um, but if all those parameters is great, as opposed to pay a dollar a month and you'll be able to know if you're about to have a heart attack. Like yeah. that doesn't have the same appeal to people, I don't think. Maybe. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I might also it like if a service. purchases available. If I had a service that was extremely accurate and it was a buck a month and it could predict a heart and like had like really good signs that showed they could predict heart, you know, disease and so forth, I'd be like, yeah, maybe I will pay a buck a month for that. Um all right. Well, let's move on to some security things because we've got a few security issues uh, before we. I guess we... we need like a care kit for AI. That you can opt in and be like, um, yeah. Well, eventually, I don't know. It's just yeah, I'll be your AI guinea pig. Like, hook your hooks into everything and make the connections. It'll be people will be able to give permission for different things, especially in the research side. So I think there's less of a concern than like mm-hmm. everything has access. Um, uh, speaking of everything having access, so we had uh, kind of one major security story last week that we. We didn't spot initially because it seems sort of ridiculous, and I wound up writing about it. Uh, um, the uh, Apple released a bunch of security updates a few days ago, and uh, uh, there were several related to uh, image processing. And initially, it's not that it seemed benign, but Apple's always, you know, there's always these things like image I.O. We repaired a condition in which a uh, generic race function could cause a memory buffer overflow in the hemoglobin bloodish fluid, right? <laughs> like, all right, that's great, whatever. Okay. Um, but in this case, there were several reported by uh, an outfit that's uh, part of Cisco, um, uh, blanking out the name of the, uh, it's a, a lab at Tisco, Tis, Tisco, sorry, the, lab at the Cisco. Talus division. Talus, thank you. And uh, uh, the senior research engineer there posted a blog post after the patches were out for, and this is for tvOS, watchOS 2, uh, iOS 9, Mac OS, um, and some of the bugs relate to uh, not just uh, El Capitan, but also two versions back. Uh, so Mavericks and Yosemite. And uh, this guy wrote a blog post saying this is actually a really severe bug we found. Or actually, se- several severe bugs. But the TIFF one is really bad. Um, TIFF is an old image format. And uh, if the right-crafted TIFF image is received by the operating system and merely displayed in Safari or rendered as a thumbnail in uh, in iMessage uh, or via MMS, it could conceivably... Uh, allow an attacker to take control of a machine, or oh you know, from, yeah. So it's you know it's pretty over the top, right? Um, and the thing is, Apple already patched it. They'd done responsible disclosure at Talos. So uh, months ago, they told Apple, Apple's repaired it. Um, the bug, we don't know how far back it goes, but again, it could affect Watch OS. If you're looking at a TIFF, 
you know, because of um, Quick Look and other tools that Apple's built in, a lot of image formats can be rendered, uh, even though they're not natively supported by every app. There, um, you can get a preview of it, right? And uh, which used to not be the case. It used to be you had to have such specific formats. There were only a few things supported by different software. And, and Quick Look and Apple sort of the iOS support for many image formats um, for native uh, previewing is kind of part of that. So anyhow, the, uh, some news outlets are like stage fright for Mac. This is as bad as the uh, for Apple. This is as bad as the Android bug that affected hundreds of millions of Android systems, many of which remain unpatched. It's like. Well, no, it's not quite. <laughs> stage fright was you could just send an MMS to someone, and Android uh, lacks a couple of mechanisms in how it was processing those that Apple has. And the uh, people who discovered the stage fright bug, also the researchers had a proof of concept showing how you could essentially hijack an uh, Android phone. In this case, uh, I talked to the researcher, which uh, – I don't know. Do I want to criticize other reporters? Not exactly. Like writing it up is one thing, but like I talked to the guy through PR. I had to go through the PR people and I talked to a bunch of security um, experts who work in this field. And the fact is uh, most of the articles writing about this, they didn't talk to the researcher. So they didn't get the actual thing that they'd done, which is they had created a proof of concept only for Safari in OS X. They believed they could duplicate it in iOS, but they hadn't. And they had created no proof of concept and believe there are several uh, uh, bars in the way of MMS or iMessage hijacking, although they thought it might be possible. So, And it's been patched. So like stage fright is still not patched on a couple hundred million Android phones. They'll never be patched in those probably because of the way the Android um, uh, had to have a patch cycle for older phones. One does not devices. simply patch older Android phones. Exactly. <laughs> But anyway, it was this funny thing. I mean, Susie, you know, it's like anytime Apple does anything wrong, even indirectly, it's like it's the it's doom and gloom for them forever. And it's like, uh, yeah. no, not necessarily. Like, let's let's not panic. My thing isn't I don't care about the Apple part of it. They can manage their own PR. It's more like let's not freak out users when they shouldn't be freaked out. So in this exactly. case, it's like install the update uh, on all your devices, and no criminal enterprise is going to release a you know spend the effort to use this as a way to distribute malware because it's been patched. They, they have a very small window and it's getting smaller and they don't even know if it can actually be done on most systems. So it's not worth their time to invest. It's an investment when you create malware and uh, it's not low hanging fruit because it's been fixed. Yay. Yay. But uh, you know, the usual overwrought stuff. Um, I was uh, researching ransomware recently, not to, uh, not to release any, I promise. Um, <laughs> and uh, I, I admit I'm actually a little more uh, scared nice about it. a computer you got there. <laughs> being, uh, <laughs> I'm a little more scared about it being something that could affect Mac users, honestly, than I was before I did this research. Um, it won't affect iOS users, I don't think. You have to go deeper. But um, the thing about ransomware that I don't think I quite ex understood is it really only affects user documents. So when the ransomware runs, it runs in a way that it's only affecting documents a user owns. So it doesn't have to get special permissions. Like you could send someone a, um, you know, a, a Trojan horse, something that looks like one thing and isn't convince them to double click it. And without requiring permissions, that, um, that file you run could conceivably encrypt and delete all your documents. Like there's nothing, that's, that's a very easy thing to do in Mac OS as opposed to, um, trying to insert something that then runs at a system level. So it's it's very low-tech at one level. Uh, so I'm hoping, um, I don't know, I don't think we have a 
uh, I don't think we have like an imminent risk, but I, I thought of it. I think that's one reason there's so much ransomware out now. It's one of the biggest expanding categories <clears throat> of malware because it is so trivial to modify um, a number of uh, families of code. There's like a hundred something families of ransomware code that are circulating. And there's like 6 million variants um, because people make small changes they put in their own name. <laughs> you know, I've infected you. Don't send it to this guy. Send it to me. Um, <laughs> so I don't know. So I don't, I mean, the the thing is I talked to a bunch of security companies recently uh, make so antivirus software, anti-malware software. And the thing that a lot of them say is uh, basically make sure you have backups. Like they're like, make sure you're up to date, your system's patched, you're not doing, you know, don't run Java and Flash if you can help it. Uh, we'll talk about Flash in a minute. But one element is uh, you should definitely have good backups of uh, with depth. So if you're running Time Machine, I just got a user question I'm going to answer. Someone wrote in to Mac911 asking, um, is, there, is there a Mac piece of Mac software that lets me undelete a file? Like I've thrown something away. Can I retrieve it? I'm like, oh, well, there's a lot of things you can do. But if you're running Time Machine, conceivably, if that file was backed up in the state you want, so somewhere, you know, if it was more than an hour ago, typically, that you made a change, um, you should be able to go into Time Machine and recover it. So even though you can't take it out of the trash or use, you know, grab it off the hard drive where it was deleted, you have backups. Are backups are as good as undeleting if the backups are occurring continuously and if they have depth. So they have multiple versions like Dropbox or CrashPlan or um, Time Machine. Uh, all of these things let you keep, you know, as many versions as you can. I think, I forget, Time Machine, they purge, uh, Time Machine purges older versions. Like, I think it keeps one hour, one week, one month, and so forth over time. Yeah, once your like hard that. drive fills up, it starts deleting the oldest backups. Right, so you should have, but you would have at least, you know, the most recent one. And so yeah. with ransomware, if you have a full, like, if you're cloning your drive, like every night I run uh, super duper to clone my main startup drive, but I also am doing continuous backups to cloud-based service. My clone, if I was infected by ransomware, it's possible my clone would have backed up since the ransomware infected me, and my clone is full of encrypted files. Um, but my backup over the net, I will have versions preceding those and would be able to restore. But just something yeah, to Apple think about. Apple makes it pretty easy to restore. I mean, you can, you can always... In grab a fresh copy of the OS. Like you don't have to, you know, even back in the day when you had to find like the actual disc that, that you paid money for. And like yeah. now it's so much easier. I mean, you've got the restore partition on your Mac and you can boot to that, wipe the hard drive. So yeah, if, if your files are all in the cloud, um, you know, and and the software, it's, it's a pain to have to install all your apps. Like I just switched Macs again because I'm doing some testing and and most of my, I have very few files that are only on a Mac's storage. Everything is in some kind of cloud synced fo folder, um, iCloud or Dropbox mostly. Um, it's just, it's convenient for me. So that's mostly why I use it. But then, yeah, it's, it, if, if I hit, got hit with ransomware, I would not be paying the ransom. Yeah, that's if you if you can you can avoid it. Apparently, um, I wrote an article that uh, showed up on a few of the IDG sites uh, that because I think I talked about this last oh, week. This that is F, a good one. Like, yeah. F Secure released um, they did customer service rating of ransomware companies, uh, ransomware operators <laughs> because. Mm -hmm. It was sort of ridiculous, but their F-Secure makes antivirus software. And they're like, look, the only way ransomware works, ransomware typically, it 
runs on your computer. You know, it's mostly Windows, but let's let's face it. But it runs on your computer and it encrypts the files, but it doesn't need a connection back to the mothership. You double-click any encrypted file. I forget. In some cases, I think it puts a message on your screen. In other cases, you double-click the file and it actually opens up a message that says, hey, all your files were encrypted. We can help you with this. Pay 0.2 bitcoins or, you know, X hundred dollars. Uh, and it gives you instructions. And the thing is, it's hard for people confronted with this, so they offer customer support to help you figure out how to get Bitcoin, how to pay them, and so forth. It's a wacky thing. So F-Secure essentially uh, let themselves be infected on test machines, you know, secured environments, and had a, a pretend naive user uh, interact with customer support and try to negotiate a price down. I can't pay that much. Can I pay less? Can I have the deadline extended? And uh, ranked how well they did. How good is the UI? How good is <laughs> – will they take a lower fee? But I mean it's um, like if you – I guess that's helpful if you if you need to know how to like negotiate or how to deal with like a specific person. Exactly. But it's not like you can choose. Like, you know, you can't make a buyer's decision. Like who's going to get you? I know. But it was – it's interesting to look at that that's even in, in that world because it's easy money. It's, you know, you just – you you have to pay somebody. You're basically paying malware mules to install this on people's machines or to try to. And then you just sit there and collect money in Bitcoin and you convert it. It's a it's a really insidious thing, but it's uh it's being fought. It's going to disappear as a category that's large, um, you know, within a year because it it carries out certain kinds of known behavior. So we're going to see that um, shrink and not become financially viable eventually, like other kinds of malware. Then they'll have to come up with something else. I know. What's the next thing? I don't know. Uh, it's going to be crazy. Oh my god! Um, it's like other... every time you touch your computer, it gives you a shock unless ah. you send them a lot of money. Like, couple other brief things before we finish up was uh, one was uh, Skype is moving to the cloud. I'm still confused how this affects Mac users because uh, there'll be native software, but you'll be able to also use a web browser to make Skype calls. And um, I wrote a piece about security issues. Uh, you know, is it worse that Skype's in the cloud? It's like, no, uh, it used to be peer-to-peer, -peer, but sort of. It's not really been true peer-to-peer -peer for a long time. It's been peer to data centers run by Microsoft, so not exactly, but um, I wrote a piece explaining that, you know, Skype basically doesn't offer verifiable end-to-end -end encryption the way that other systems do. Um, Apple doesn't reveal everything about iMessage, but it gets a much higher rating by almost everybody because a lot more pieces are known, and uh, uh, Skype could be perfectly secure, but it, it's designed in such a way that it's possible for third parties to be able to intercept messages, so that's uh, not as good. Um, Exciting piece of news on the Android side, though, because we're going to get this soon in iOS. Google has added spam reporting and blocking to phone calls in Android. That's amazing. I block calls. I block numbers in iOS like all the time for this You're reason. You're getting a bunch more lately, right? Yeah. All of a sudden, I started getting, getting – I got like 10 or 15 a week now, and I used to get like one a month. Um, and I asked on Twitter not that long ago. I was like, hey, is anyone having this happen? And everyone's like, yes, yes, yes. Like all these things. I'm getting ones that have the local – area code and prefix of my cell phone. Ugh. So people are making fake numbers using PBX systems to create caller ID or they're getting numbers in your in your area and then they're calling so that it looks like it's a neighbor or a local business. So that's that's sucky. Um but yeah, they're uh yeah, so you can block those in iOS. Like if you're in the phone right. app, you can go to the recents thing, you hit the little I and then by by that number and, and there's a, a option you kind of scroll down, there's an option to block that caller. Um, and I do that a ton, um, but it, it doesn't report it to anybody. It just blocks right. it on your end. So what Google's doing is uh, that's going to be reported to someone. 
Well, there, yeah, there's, it's Nexus and Android One only devices. So I think Google is running this as a central thing. I hope they roll it out to to other platforms over time because it's this is the thing that Apple announced for iOS 10. Apple, the way they talked about it was it's going to be a carrier specific feature. So carriers already maintain block lists of numbers that they know are engaged in malicious activity, but they don't use it to. They use it at a higher level where they will block. And there's issues about being a carrier where you're not allowed to do things arbitrarily. So, um, but if you, so a user asks you to do it, they can. So the carriers have information they don't deploy to prevent us from getting spam and fraud calls. Um, and, but if we opt into something, they'd be able to do it. So my understanding of iOS 10's feature is we will opt in and we will then, I don't know if we'll, our reports will go to the carrier, but I know that our the carriers lists will allow us to say, well, they'll, they won't block the calls. They're actually going to say, just like the Google thing, we think this is a spam caller. So obviously the carriers are on top of this, given that Google could roll this out um, in some fashion. So, uh, well, no, actually the Google thing may be entirely run by Google. Okay, actually, cool. So you're not carriers, like reporting them to authorities. You're just helping these, these. But it, it, maybe the carriers will accept reports to this mechanism. I'm looking for more information about iOS 10. Um, and the final thing we have, because we got a, we actually have a cloud to finish up here is the, um, Firefox uh, and Flash. I just wanted to highlight this for people. <clears throat> We've talked a lot about how terrible Flash is over years. <laughs> a lot about it. That's been covered a few times, yeah. Yeah, so Firefox has uh, put out a roadmap where they're going to, um, very soon they're going to block certain kinds of small tracking and super cookie uh, Flash objects that are designed to sort of, you know, they're designed by ad networks. Um, those are going to be blocked. And they think by blocking just a couple categories of tiny invisible um, flash objects, they will reduce crashes in Firefox uh, tabs by 10%, which is huge. That and, is awesome. Uh, yeah. So the, later this year, they're going to block another ad-related thing, which is mostly used for ads, um, but can be used on complicated sites too, about ads use Flash to determine if an ad is showing. They want to see what the visible layer is. There's an HTML5 mechanism coming. Once that's in Firefox, uh, 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 Mozilla is going to remove the Mozilla Foundation that makes the browser will remove the Flash ability to do that. And then in 2017, Flash content will only play if you click it. And um, that's also coming Safari in uh, iOS, uh, or sorry, in the next version of um, Mac OS. Safari will uh, not tell websites that it can play anything a flash and to force <laughs> HTML5. And if there's no HTML5 content, it'll let the user click to play flash if flash is served up. Um, and That's Chrome, awesome. That was always Chrome, one of the best extensions, mm-hmm. that click to flash thing. So it's being it's, discontinued. The guy said he can't develop it under, uh, apparently under the next release. It won't yeah. work well, in I the mean, uh, Sierra environment, but he may not be needed either. But yeah. I used it for, um, I use it for like every kind of content for PDF and everything. So I can, I don't have to load things by accident. And Chrome also, Chrome is going to limit, um, flash will only play, I think automatically in, uh, the top 10 sites in the world that use flash, like YouTube and whatever. (laughs) Facebook. And you'll be able to white. Yeah. You'll be able to whitelist below that, but, um, it's a good trend. So flash little by little it's being reduced and that's good because every time there's a flash security update, I mean, I get, do you get, you have Flash installed, I'm no, sure. For, I don't no, have it. I have to. There's a couple things I do, but I have to run Flash. So I have to click to Flash installed. I don't let it run automatically. If I get a thing that says allow it to play, I say no. Um, all Every that. once in a while, and then I have to, like, I just use a different computer. <laughs> well, you can use Chrome has the integrated thing. Well, so, yeah. but every time there's a Flash update, it's like, these 75 terrible bugs have been replaced. It's like, oh, it's like every week I got a, there's a new version of Flash. No. Um, so looking forward to that. Well, uh, we'll be back in a week with more 
news in this space. And you can always email us, podcast at macworld.com. And Susie, great to talk with you again here in the Always the best part of, of my Tuesday, chatting Aww. with you. Me too. Thank you. And um, this is, I've been Glenn Fleischman, and this has been the Macworld Podcast, episode 518 for July 27, 2016. Find us at macworld.com, email us, tell us what you think, and uh, we'll be back next week with more. Thanks for listening. <laughs>